Thanks, guys, and please take a seat. I want you to cast your minds back. We've been doing a bit of remembering today in all sorts of different ways. Cast your mind back. Was there a lesson you learnt as a child that's become very, very helpful as an adult? A lesson you've learnt as a child that's become very helpful as an adult. One that springs to mind for me is that chewing gum stays in your body for seven years after you swallow it. As I was thinking about that this week, I realised that may well be something Mum said because she didn't want us chewing and swallowing chewing gum. I'm not sure it's actually scientific fact-based. However, if you have evidence to the contrary, I would love to know. Um, what about, um, I, I had a friend once, we were walking around the town where I grew up in, and my friend said, do you know where we're going? And I said, I know this place like the back of my hand. You've heard that? And they said, how many lines on the back of your hand? And I learnt never to say that ever again. I don't have a clue how many lines are on the back of my hand. What about, this was a weird one. Mum, mum, you know the good old days when you used earbuds to clean your ears? Like I think you're not allowed to now for some ridiculous reason. Anyway, back in the good old days, mum would like, she would say you should never use an earbud on this ear, like the good side, on this ear. And about two years ago, Mike, it still doesn't make sense to me. After 40 something years, I still haven't been able to work it out, so I asked her. I said, Mum, when we were kids, you said you can use your earbud this ear, but you can't use the good side, the unused side on your other ear. What is going on? And she said, I have no recollection of saying that. <laughs> Shaped my entire adult life. And she said, maybe, because the whole time I thought, maybe there's bad stuff in your ear that somehow gets transmitted through that little plastic thing to the other end. Confused me for years. The story we're looking at today that Dale read before is a whole bunch of, look what we did in the past, because it needs to shape our future to prepare us for the future. It needs to shape our present to prepare us for the future. So the story so far, for those of you that haven't been able to be here the last few weeks, Joshua has led the people out of the desert. They've come to the Jordan River. They've consecrated themselves and they've followed God into the river that stopped flowing and they've walked through on dry ground to the promised land. They finally made it. They grabbed some stones to remember the event and how God, good God was. And then today we encounter chapter 5 of Joshua, which has three lessons about what their salvation meant to them. So what they got from God and how they were saved, and that relates directly to us. But it starts with, as Dale forewarned us about, thank you for that, it starts with circumcision. It's a bit culturally awkward, isn't it? to talk about that, especially in church. But we're going to have to put up with it today because the Bible started it, right? So, so Joshua made flint knives. Flint knives, knives of stone. They had access to metal, people. They had access. They made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites. Yeah. And of course, the big question is, why? <laughs> why on earth? Would you do that? Circumcision to the Jewish nation is about aligning their identity with each other and with God. 
It was something only they did. It was special to them. Thank goodness. In Genesis 17, if we go way back in their story, so if we go a thousand years earlier in the story that we're looking at today, we discover how it all came to be. God speaks with a man called Abraham. You heard of Abraham? Abraham was called the father of all nations. and the, So God speaks with Abraham and offers him a deal that Abraham cannot refuse. And the deal is, if you obey me, you'll get the promised land, a land flowing in milk and honey that you can't possibly conceive of how good this will be, if you obey me. And a sign of this agreement, this covenant, is to be circumcised. And so Abraham and all his family, all the men in his family, were circumcised. If you were circumcised, you belonged to the covenant agreement. If you weren't circumcised, you did not belong to the covenant agreement. Now, jump forward to Joshua. He's with the Israelites, and none of them are circumcised except Joshua. Because the circumcised men who were circumcised when they went into the desert died in the desert, along with this ritual of circumcision. They were people under Joshua at the Jordan River who had lost their identity in God. So as their first act on promised ground, God tells them to go and get circumcised because they are my people. Now has anyone here been on uh, visited Cambodia? Oh, you should go. Just one, two of us. Uh, did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's a great place. We, we flew in to Bangkok and we journeyed down to a place called Poi Pet. And Poi Pet is on the border between Cambodia and Thailand. And the Lonely Planet Guide calls Poi Pet the armpit of Cambodia. And you go there and you realise really quickly why it's called the armpit of Cambodia. And so you go through a long process of going through customs and you go across the border. It's probably a kilometre of walking and you come out the other side with your passport stamped and your bag on your back and all of a sudden all the locals go, <laughs> naive tourists. And you are swamped by people wanting your money and to carry your bag and to drive you here and to do all this stuff for you that makes you feel very uncomfortable. And as this is happening, and I'm like, oh gosh, what, what choice do we make? What decision do we make? How do we move forward? A friend of mine, Polito, who is a natural, like a, a, a local Cambodian, sees us and yells out, hey Ralph, and he wanders over and he greets us and we hug him and then he turns around and he says to everybody else, he says, they're with me, they're my people. And all of a sudden, all the commotion about us being this sort of opportunity for them to get a lot of money, it all evaporated and they all went back to their lives because he took us into his life and his household and his protection. We were with him now. When others saw us, they identified us as belonging to Polito. It was a wonderful spot to be in. That's what Paul is talking about when he writes about circumcision to Christians. That wasn't required of Christians. And this is in the in, it speaks to the church of Colos in Colossians 2. He says, Your whole self 
ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Circumcision for Christians, for us today, it's not physical. How good's that? Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's spiritual. The concept is still the same, the practice is different. It's spiritual. When we put our belief in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us, we take on a new identity because we belong to a new promise of God. We belong to the household of God. We belong to God now when we put our faith in God. So lesson one of salvation is God gives you a new identity. God did it for the Israelites. He does it for us today. He's in the business of new identities. Now the enemy of that identity is ironically the way I want to live my life according to what I think is important and who cares about what God thinks. That becomes the enemy of our new identity. And so, so we start living like that. We start rejecting the new identity we have in God, which is a lovely way of saying sin. The Bible talks a lot about sin, and sin is rejecting the identity we have with God. And you can insert your sin. Choose whichever one you like. There's dozens and dozens. Gossip, judgment, idolatry, lust, greed, hatred, slander, dishonesty. The list goes on and on and on. We as humans, we try and sin our way out of the new identity God has given us. But when God puts his finger on your sin, have you ever had that horrible experience? When God puts his finger on your sin, you feel ashamed. Oh, I wish that wasn't me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to. Oh God, I want you, but oh, you've pinned me. Now just after the men with Joshua had been circumcised and they'd healed, we read these words. Verse 9 says, Today I have rolled away the shame of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. So we feel ashamed. We feel shame when we know our sin. And yet God says to the Israelites, I've rolled the sin, I've rolled the shame of that away. Now the idea of shame is born out of Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where Adam and Eve are made in God's image. They're identified as God's people. God's stamp is all over them. But they want to choose their own path. It's not enough, so they go and eat from the tree that they shouldn't eat from. And they're so ashamed of their sin, they go and hide in the garden. And God goes looking for them. He goes searching for them, and he finds them. And what does he do once he's found them? In verse 21 of Genesis 3, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. See that garments of skin? An animal had to lose its life for those garments to be made available. You see, shame can only be dealt with by the shedding of blood. When we think of the Israelites and Joshua, their shame was taken away by the blood that would have come from circumcision. Their shame was replaced with a new identity. Adam and Eve's was their identity that had fallen and was full of shame was then again replaced. They were brought back into the image of God by his grace and his goodness because he dealt with their shame. 
God was teaching them, your new identity does not hold the shame of your old self. I know Christians who struggle with this, but you don't understand what I did, but you don't understand what God did. (laughs) You're You're not those things, you're a new identity, and if you think you are, God wants to renew your identity again. You have come from death to life, which happened for them at Gilgal. It's important that Gilgal is named after this. Gilgal meant a circle or a wheel that kept on rolling. Your shame has been rolled away from you by God and it will continue to roll away and move further and further away from you. It's not yours anymore. Now, when I was learning to drive, I had an encounter with shame. Um, Lyndall's dad, Ian, um, offered to take me driving one day in their Tarago van that was parked under the car park against uh, the bookshop wall. They had a bookshop connected to their house. And we jumped in and I said, so, and I'd, I'd driven an auto but never a manual. And I said, so what do I do? And he said, you just turn it on. And so I turned it on, but the car was in gear. Now, if you ever turn a car on when it's in gear, you get quite a shock because the car lurches forward. And at that very moment in time, the van was parked very close to the wall. And so me turning the car on literally threw the van through the wall. Isn't that right, Lyndall? I'm not making this up. It was, I was so full of shame. I was like, oh. And then what was worse was every time I went around to see Lyndall, what did I see? The hole in the wall. I was like, no, this, I've never shared this story before either, by the way. So we're like opening up this morning. And I'm looking, I'm so shameful. Until Lyndall's dad fixed the wall. You see, I couldn't fix the wall. I wanted to fix the wall, but I wasn't able to. I did not have the skills to fix the wall. I just wanted the wall to be gone. Well, actually not gone, but to back there how it should be. But only the owner of the wall could fix the wall. And when he paid the price for fixing the wall, my shame was gone. That's what Jesus does for us. John the Baptist, he's he's warming up the crowd for Jesus. And he's building up his introduction. And he sees Jesus and he says, look! And he points to Jesus. He says, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. That's him. That's him. That's the guy. Now, John the Baptist was baptizing where? In the Jordan River. He was ushering people into a new identity of standing with God. And then he sees Jesus and he's saying like, you know, your sin and your shame and your embarrassment and the rebellion in your heart and all the mistakes. That guy, Jesus, he's going to solve it all. He is the only one who has the power to take it away from you, to roll it away, to get it away from you. And you know how he's going to do it? You know how he's going to deal with your shame? By the spilling of blood. Whose blood? His own. His own. Jesus removes our shame by the spilling of his own blood. So lesson one, God gives you a new identity. Lesson two, God takes away your shame. But Joshua 5, it's not quite finished yet. Your identity is renewed. Your shame is removed. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, 
While camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. Now, Passover is a a fundamental pillar of Jewish faith. It comes out of the Exodus. 40 years before the Joshua story, 40 years is where it had its birth. And Moses is sent by God to go to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, I know you're the most powerful being in our known world, but you need to let God's people go. And And Pharaoh said, absolutely, I thought you'd never ask. Please have all my slave force. Pharaoh said, <laughs> pretty much over my dead body. And then God started to turn the temperature up and turn the pressure up on Pharaoh. And these plagues started to invade. And, jo- and Pharaoh looked like he'd give in. And at the last moment, he stood his ground. And it escalated until the, the plague, the final plague, was that all the firstborns in the land, so not just children, but all the firstborns in the land of all your cattle and all your people and everything, will find their end unless you are sheltered under the blood of the Lamb. Now Jesus, his nickname if you like, what he was known as was the Lamb of God because his blood is what takes away our shame. It protects us. But the lambs back then were used as a way of sacrificing so that God's wrath would fall on the Lamb, not on the person offering the sacrifice. So God is a holy God Our sin requires the appeasement of that. And so when a sacrifice happens, instead of our wrath, God's wrath landing on a person, it goes on the sacrifice. And that's how God chose to do it for a long time. And so when they had this lamb at Passover and they sacrificed it, it says in verse 7 of Exodus 12, then they had to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the top of the door frames of the houses so that this plague would pass over them. That's what was called the Passover meal. So they would be protected by the blood of the lamb as, the, as this plague passed over them. And then they were to ceremonially eat the lamb. So after sacrificing the lamb, they pretty much chucked it on the barbie and they ate it. And there was a specific way they needed to cook it and eat it. But it came with a, a stance that you had to take on. And that was that God said, when you eat this Passover lamb, eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, sandals on your feet, and a staff in your hand. That wasn't normal dining attire. You did that when you had to move, when you had to get going, when there was something you had to move toward. And that's the instructions that they're to eat this Passover meal with. You see, Passover was about moving toward, moving forward under the protection of God. Where God protects you from the present to embrace the future. Now, do we have any AFL fans amongst us? Anyone who loves the AFL? We're not going to go into whose team, because we all know the Western Bulldogs are the best. And the, God, and the sons are the second best. This afternoon I'm going, I'm going to the sons and I've been teaching my boy, Hamish, how to understand footy. Because we're going the Savo and it dawned on me that he has no idea how the game works. So last week we've been teaching him how to play. And there's this manoeuvre in footy that, that you love to see. There's a few, but there's this one key manoeuvre where somebody has the ball. Here we go. There's a ball here. This wasn't planned. Someone has the ball. And... Jonty, jump up here. Yeah, we'll do real life enactment completely. All right, Jonty's the opposition. 
So Jonty has to smash me with the ball and he will win the ball, right? Now, oh, this will be fun. Aniella, jump up here. Aniella's on my team and Aniella has to protect me. So what does she do? She shepherds me by smashing Jonty. You don't have to do it. Don't have to. Just come, come over here. Come over here. And so as Jonty's moving toward, Aniella puts her body on the line. You don't have to. But you, you don't punch him. That's, you get a free kick. Just throw your shoulder in. A bit like that. A bit like that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. Yeah, they don't, do they? And if Aniella does that effectively, she shepherds and I can go on and kick. Oh, that's, that's a goal. It's a goal. Thanks, guys. Thanks. That's how a shepherd works. And it's a very exciting aspect of the game. But that's what Passover is. It's the shepherd. God absorbs, like Aniella, God absorbs the impact of the opposition, Jonti, so that I can move forward. So the Israelites, as they celebrated Passover, they were shepherded by God. He protected them so they could move on forward by taking the brunt of the plague that should have had them if it weren't for the protection of God. And then in Gilgal, 40, 45 years later, at the Jordan, they celebrate Passover again. You know, this is the meal that we shared back then when it was born, this idea was born. Because God is still absorbing the impact of the opposition so we can move forward. And in Romans chapter 6, we see our own Passover. We see our own shepherding. Verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul to the church of Rome says, The wages of sin are death, but, that's the shepherd, but, because of what Jesus did for you, the gift of God is eternal life. What's coming for you? What your sins deserve is death. It is not good. But that, that judgment can pass you over just like it did to the Israelites. You will be sheltered from that in order to move forward with God. And Jesus enables us to be sheltered from that by taking the brunt of our sin that we might pass through. So when we read this story, the Israelites, they've made it to Gilgal. They're in the promised land. The promised land wasn't on the other side of Jericho. It was on the other side of the Jordan. They'd made it. They'd been saved from Egypt and slavery and death in the desert. They had a new identity. Their shame had been rolled away. They were safe in what God had promised them. Only they didn't have the fullness yet of what God intended for them. They could have stayed in Gilgal. Their enemies that they encountered in uh, the rest of Israel, or what we know as Israel, would have been quite content for them to have Gilgal and stay there because they were scared witless of these people. They could have stayed on the cusp, on the edge of what God had for them, but they weren't saved to settle down. We are not saved to settle. We are not saved to not move forward. If you've put your faith in Christ, 
if you've received a new identity in Jesus, if your shame has been taken away, there is more adventure for you regardless of your age or your experience or what you've done. And if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you haven't received a new identity, if you still grapple with shame, we can sort that out today. Come talk to me after the service. We can literally sort that out today. God can fix that here and now. But for the rest of us, the adventure with God still awaits. And there is much to do. The first steps as we move into the 17th of July, the first steps are for you to put your hand up, as Wendy said, for for kids' talks, but for welcomers and prayers in the service and a prayer ministry team afterwards for Bible readers and morning tea and building lockup and people to count the offering that we'll have uh, that's collected over here, to do car park ministry, to do youth group, to do friendship club, to do our play group, to partially care for people, to run the audio, to run the projection, to do small group, to run alpha, to serve on a church council. There's plenty for everybody to do. Plenty. And then, of course, there's the business that every single Christian has to do make disciples so there's a job for all of us but they're not the last steps either it's not when we step there and we go we've made it no 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 that's when we can really start getting into the exciting stuff of god that's when we can step into our community it's when we can step toward the poor it's when we can step into domestic violence situations it's when we can step into the lives of the lonely it's when we can step with those who have mental illness It's when we can support single mums. It's when we can step into the school and make a massive difference. And after we do that, there will be another step because we go on an adventure with God. But the crossing of the Jordan, the amalgamation of two churches into one, it's where faith begins again for us. It's not the end of anything and it's not actually the start. We carry who we are and what God has done into this new future because we are a chosen people we are a royal priesthood we are a holy nation we are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into wonderful, wonderful light let's pray Lord we we are so grateful that you would save us And Lord, I pray for those here this morning that have recognised that they are not saved. I pray you would write that today through the ministry of your Holy Spirit now, through the imparting of your life to them, through the taking away of their sin, for the renewal of their identity, Lord. May they experience the saving grace of Christ right now, Lord. And Lord, may you continue to lead us and give us enough courage and enough obedience to follow, to trek in your steps, to not only do things in this church, but to do significant things as a result of this church in our community. We are willing, Lord. We're not going to stay in Gilgal as special as Gilgal is. And so we pray that you would you would stir our hearts into where we fit, into how we can contribute. You would carry us into this new chapter, we pray. And we ask this in your name.